we plan to complete the fourth pedic and begin the fifth pedic on the staff. The Mishnah mentioned that one of the stipulations in the Ketubah is that after the death of the husband, his uh, property will provide for his wife's sustenance and housing. You can remain living in my house all the days of your widowhood. Since the uh, language of the Ketubah says in my house, and it doesn't say in my hovel, that means that if he has a big house that can uh, hold both his wife and his children that are living in the house, then fine. The, his sons must allow uh, the wife, to, uh, that's not necessarily their mother, it could be a stepmother, so they have to allow her to remain. But if it's a very small house, so just a hovel, just a tent, and there's not enough room for everyone, then the wife does not get, does not, uh, get the right to take the house for herself if there's not enough room. Rather, the sons get primary uh, a preference to live there and not the wife. But nevertheless, Rav Yosef teaches that even if she ends up ends up being a very uh, small shack and there's no room for her, she has to live somewhere else, nevertheless, she still gets sustenance and she still gets fed from the inheritance. However, Mordor Bashe says, if she doesn't get housing, she doesn't get food either. They go together, it's both or neither. But the halacha does not follow him. In fact, even if she... If there's no room in the house for her, she still will get food. Okay, now the, a wife is sustained after her husband's death as long as she's not married. If she remarries, then for sure, that's it. Her new husband will take care of her. What we're about to learn is that even before she actually gets remarried, if she already shows, if she's already going out with another guy or shows interest that she's dating another guy, she removes herself from her husband's domain. Uh, she only gets sustained from her husband's inheritance while she's still emotionally attached to her deceased husband. So, if someone proposed to her and she agreed, she has no mezonot anymore. What we, to modern days, call engagement that he proposed, she agreed. There's no halachic ramifications for that, not kiddushin yet. But as she showed that she wants to, she said she wants to marry this guy, that's it. She is no longer uh, thinking about connected to her husband. She's moving on, so she doesn't get food. Now, we analyze the statement of Shemuel. According to that, that means anytime she did not agree, then she would, then she would still continue to get mizonot, even if maybe uh, she is dating, she's interested in, in marrying, but maybe uh, some guy who she doesn't like proposed to her and she turned him down. But should she still get sustenance? Uh, just because she didn't like that guy, but the fact is that she is dating, so maybe that's enough that she should not get, get sustenance anymore from the inheritance. So is that what Shemuel means to say? Shemuel explained exactly what he meant to me. If someone comes and proposes to her and says, no, sorry, I'm still too emotionally attached to my deceased husband, and therefore I am not ready to get remarried, 
In that case, she continues to get sustenance because she deserves it, right? Her, uh, she's thinking about her husband, so her husband's property will continue to sustain her. But if someone proposes to her and she turns him down because she doesn't like him, you're not suitable for me. Uh, but otherwise, if it was someone suitable, she would marry him. Well, then that shows that she is ready to move on. She's not connected to her husband, her deceased husband, anymore. And therefore, from that moment, even before marriage already, she loses her rights to for food from her from the inheritance. If she goes and uh, has uh, relations with a man after her husband's death, also that stops the sustenance. That means she moved on. She's thinking about other guys and not her husband anymore. Amar of Yosef ki hala ufir kesa en la mezonot. If she put on makeup and dyed her hair and got her attractive to look nice on a date, then also uh, to attract men, she does not get mezonot anymore because she shows that she is no longer uh, uh, connected, thinking about emotionally attached to her husband. She's ready to move on. And from that moment, she loses the rights to sustenance. Now, you could read these as agreeing with each other, but the Gemara assumes that they're disagreeing. If someone says that uh, one, some, uh, if the woman has be out with someone else, he would agree all the more so if she made herself up uh, to and put up put makeup on, because putting makeup on is a more deliberate act that she is premeditating, saying, "I'm deciding, I'm thinking about someone else." Whereas the bi'ah might just be. Uh, something that is a uh, 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 kind of a uh, last minute and not planned. On the other hand, the person who says that she stops getting sustenance once she puts on makeup to look good for dates um, uh, would would say at that point she stops. But if she had relations with someone else, then that does not show that she moved on yet and she should still get sustained. Why? Because it's her desire that forced her. It was just a um, not a premeditated decision to say, okay, I'm ready to move on, but just something that happened in the moment uh, that her inclination got the better of her, but it doesn't necessarily show that she emotionally has moved on. Okay, now even though we saw, just saw a whole bunch of opinions that say that she loses sustenance at, uh, at some point when she shows that she wants to marry another, but the halacha lemaseh does not follow any of those opinions. But rather, what Rav Yudah quoted in the name of Shemuel, that only when she claims her marriage document in Betin, then she stops getting mezonot. Uh, in other words, she has a choice. She can, um, she can be sustained, she not, don't collect her ketubah, and just get continue daily food from the inheritance. Or she can come and say, I want the full payout, the one lump sum of the entire ketubah. Once she gets that payout, then that uh, severs her connection. Uh, so it's really all in her hands to decide when she wants to. And so just because she's dating someone, that will not stop it. Okay, now we ask, Velo, is that true that she will not receive sustenance once she makes a claim? 
for her ketubah, and that's all, and only then, and the Baraita says that as soon as a woman sells her ketubah, right, she can sell the right to collect her ketubah to someone else. So she basically, she's monetizing the ketubah, and at that point, she's using it as money, and so therefore, she doesn't deserve the mizonot anymore. She's basically getting a payout, except that the payout is from a third party rather than from the inheritance directly. Or if she uses the contract as collateral or an apotiki, similar to, uh, to a collateral, she's putting a lien on it that she will uh, pay back this debt from the ketubah. Uh, so then also she's monetizing it, and at that point already she's showing that, oh, that I want the payout of the ketubah, and she does not get sustained anymore. So we can infer from here that, yes, in these cases she, she, she loses her ketubah, but if she only claimed it, then not yet. She should not yet lose it uh, because she didn't, get yet, she didn't yet actually get the payout. She only claimed it. So how do we um, how do we resolve this contradiction? In these three things, when she sells it or uses it as a collateral or as a lien, that she loses her right to sustenance, whether that happens in a court or even outside a court. She just sees someone and says, "Hey, you know, I want some cash. I want to buy this. Hey, I'll sell you my ketubah." At that point, she loses it, even outside of court. Tovat bebetin in bebetin But if she comes as she wants to claim so if she claims it officially in a court right she comes to court and says i want my payout from that moment that she makes the claim she loses the she loses the sustenance but if she makes the claim outside of betin she just comes to one of the inheritors say, i would like to get the payout it's not official at that point so she doesn't yet forfeit the right until they actually pay for it all right the next uh clause in the mishnah says anshe yerushalayim uh, in Jerusalem uh, and, and in the Galilee, they would write in the marriage contract that says, uh, that the, uh, they would write in the marriage con contract that she, the widow, remains in uh, the house and is sustained by the, by the inheritance for the duration of her widowhood. And that would be true until she decides she wants to get remarried or collect the payout. It's in her hands. However, in Judea, we saw that the custom is to write that it's until the heirs decide that they want to pay her out. In other words, they, not only she can has the, the option, the, um, let's call it the, you know, the, the brothers, uh, would also have the option, actually the sons, uh, would also have the option to say, hey, we want to pay out the ketubah and we don't want to sustain you and we don't want to have you live in the house. They have the option to do that. Okay, so that's in, uh, in Judea. Rav said that the orphans have the prerogative to give the one-time payout. Shemuel says, no, they don't. The, the widow can stay as long as she wants. Now, Babylonia and all of the surrounding towns uh, would follow Rav, who followed the people in Yehuda that give the orphans more rights. is a city in Babel. But uh, so Babel means the rest of the parts of Babel, but Nehardea and its surrounding towns, they followed Shemuel 
uh, that does not give that option to the orphans. Now, Hahibat Mechoza, interesting story about someone who was born in Mechoza, that's in the rest of Babel. She married a man who was from Nehardea. And now exactly this case happened. The husband died. And uh, the uh, they can't, they come to judgment before Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman heard her, her her accent that she came from Mehoza, which was part of Bavel, and so he said, "Oh, the orphans here wanted to give her a payout and not have to sustain her and keep her in the house." So he said, "Oh, since you're from Mehoza, the Falacha follows Rav, so the orphans have the option." Because Bavel and all its surroundings, including Mechoza, followed Av. However, the uh, the people who were there, who were advocating on behalf of the widow, they said, Yeah, but she's marrying someone who is from Nehardeah. And they probably were there for living, actually, in Nehardeah. So it doesn't matter where she came from or where she is now and where the husband is from. I'm glad you told me that. I was only going, going by her accent, but now that you told me that uh, she they, that she married someone from Nehardeah, in that case, they follow Shemuel, and the orphans do not have the option, and they have to sustain her continually. How do you define the, what is the province of Nehardeah? Wherever they use the kav measurement of Nehardeah, they were not standardized. They did not have standardized measurements uh, in all provinces. You know, like today, some people use centimeters, some people use inches, and so wherever they use the Nehardei and kav, that would be considered that area for this halacha. Good. Itmar almana Rav Amar Shamin Mashe Aleha Ushmael Amar En Shamin Mashe Aleha. So another law regarding what what the payout should be to an almana. Uh, she is wearing clothes. What about the clothes that she is actually wearing? And so if, if when the orphans come to give a payout, do they include what she's actually wearing? Rav says yes. Whatever the clothing that she is currently wearing, that she currently has in her closet too, that is part of the payout, and she already has it because she's wearing it, and so they can deduct that from the total. Shemuel says no, that what she's wearing is just hers. That's hers already. That's the husband's not giving it to her. She already has it. They have to give out the full sum uh, uh, separate from the clothing that she currently has. Says this, the Ravid Shemuel would say the opposite opinions regarding a hired worker. You hire someone to uh, for a certain job, and then you're going to pay them. So what happens sometimes? A hired worker, the owner, would also give them clothing, work clothing, to 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 use while they work. And now he comes to pay them. So can he include the amount of the clothing that he gave them, a uniform or whatever it is that that he gave? them. So here would be the opposite. Shemuel said that you can deduct the amount of the clothing from the total salary. And Rav says, no, you cannot deduct the total clothing. That's one version. Rav Kana Kana said, no, not the opposite in the case of the hired worker, but the same thing that Rav uh, would say, you can deduct the clothing both for the widow and for the hired worker.
worker. And he had a, even had a mnemonic to remember this, that uh, an orphan and a widow, you tell them, disrobe and remove them. Now, widow refers to the case of the widow we've been talking about. Orphan here refers not to a literal orphan, but rather to a hired worker. Uh, but typically, orphans are impoverished and they have to uh, uh, do day labor. And so also, you know, people that are poor have to be day laborers. Okay, so it means that both a day laborer and the case of a widow, we look at their clothing and we say, listen, you can keep the clothing, but it will be deducted from your ketubah payout or your salary. Or if you want, you can... Uh, uh, remove your clothing and give it back and then you'll get the cash value instead. It doesn't mean that literally we're going to make them strip, but rather that they have a decision to, to leave, to keep that clothing um, as part of the payout. Amadav Nachman, Afalgav Ditnan, Bematnitin, Kevate, the point is that the clothing belongs to the husband and the boss, and so that the clothing that they have uh, since it belongs to them, uh, since it belongs to the husband and the and the boss, therefore, if the if the um, widow and the worker are keeping it, then it's deducted. Okay. Rav Nachman says, even though we have a Mishnah that we're about to see that follows Shemuel, so you'd think that that would be the halacha. Nevertheless, in this case, the halacha actually follows Rav, which is uh, interesting. Ditnan, Mishnan Arachin says, Someone says, I consecrate all my property to the Bet HaMikdash. Or he, or he consecrates himself, his own value. He donates to the Bet HaMikdash a fixed amount. So if he donates all everything that he owns, he can only possibly give the things that he himself owns. But the items that his wife or children own, he, he does not have a right to take them or and to donate them. So therefore, this does not include his wife's clothing, so there you go. That's what's important for us. See that the hus a husband does not actually own his the clothing that his wife is wearing. As though, uh, uh, this seems to include also the the clothing that's in her closet. Her clothing is not his to give away, and so that would follow Shemuel, who says that um, you cannot deduct the amount of her clothing. She owns her clothing already, so he has to give the payout besides that. Um, also, uh, the clothing of his children belongs, does not belong to him, so he can't donate it. Or if he dyed some clothing specially for them, even if they didn't wear it yet, but he, he bought it or prepared it specially for them, it's already theirs. Or new sandals that he bought for his wife or for his children, they are also belong to, to them. This is not common property that they all use like a chair, uh, but rather something that only fits them and therefore belongs to them. Uh, so you see that this Mishnah follows Shemuel. Nevertheless, Halakha does not follow that. So the question is, if the Mishnah follows Shemuel, then why? Does the halacha follow Rav? He says, yes, on a, on a first reading, it seems that this Mishnah uh, supports Rav. But if you examine it more deeply, you'll see that actually this Mishnah supports 
uh, 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 it seems that it supports Shemuel, but if you examine it more deeply, you'll see that this Mishnah actually supports Rav. How so? My Tama, Ki Aknila, Adata Lemekam Kame, Adata Lemishkal, Umepak, La Aknila. Because in this case, when the husband is buying clothing for his wife or preparing dyeing clothing for his wife, he has in mind, I'm going to get her this nice special dress so that she can wear it in front of me while we're married, right? I want to be married and see her in this nice dress. But I'm not buying it for her so that she can leave me and take it with her uh, uh, upon divorce. That's not what I had in mind. Uh, so therefore, um, it, we, the, the point is that it only, uh, only while they're married, then he says, yeah, it's yours. To the to the extent that if he makes it if he donates everything that's his, um, this is not included. But he does not have in mind that she should keep it um, at the dissolution of a marriage, and so therefore the halacha this mishnah actually supports Rav, and that's why halacha is like Rav. Now a couple of stories. The daughter-in-law of the uh, the house of the. Uh, daughter-in-law of the son of Eliashiv was claiming her ketubah from the orphans. Her husband died, and then she goes to the uh, orphans who are the inheritors and says, and say, pay me the ketubah. So they have to pay, you know, let's say a thousand dollars. And the orphans, um, and she said, okay, that's it. We're going to Betin. All right, she calls, she summons them to Betin. Amri zila lan mileta de tezli hachi. So these uh, 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 orphans are uh, very concerned about how their stepmother, presumably their stepmother, will look in court. And they said, it's demeaning for us, meaning for you, that you should be dressed in this manner. She was wearing just some old uh, clothes, some old rags, and says, you know, we're going to Bedin, you, you, should look, you should look nicer when you go to Bedin. So, you know, make sure to dress well. So she did. The wife went, and the widow, and she went and dressed herself with all of her fine clothes, the finest of her clothes. So they came to Ravina and says, the law is like Rav, that the Almana, we um, appraise the clothes that she is wearing, and we deduct that from the Ketubah. And therefore, they deducted everything she was wearing. So you see, these um, uh, orphans, uh, inheritors, kind of tricked her by, sell- by, by showing as if they're concerned, oh, we want to make sure you look nice, make sure to wear your, your nicest fine uh, dress. But really, they had, um, they had intention to uh, include that in the payout so that they would have to pay less from their own land. Uh, so this was a kind of um, a, a trick that they, they used uh, against her. A certain person uh, said to his heirs before he died, he says, listen, I'm going to die, but I want you to give a dowry to my daughter. He's telling his sons who are going to inherit him, and uh, that would mean uh, a given amount, uh, you know, what we, the, the usual dowry. Let's say the usual dowry is $1,000, and it will include, right, all kinds of things, clothing, jewelry, zal nedunya. But in the meantime, the dowry, the cost of the dowry depreciated. In other words, you could buy the very same list of items for only $800. So now what? Do the inheritors, do the sons, 
Do they have to uh, give her $1,000 worth of items or do they just give her the items that were once $1,000 but they could spend $800 on them and buy the same things and keep the $200. So he says the profit of that dowry goes to the orphans. All right, the orphans get, pre- uh, get precedent. Uh, the, the the daughter is getting the, the dowry that the father said because she's getting all the items that are on the list. So uh, she's not really losing out. This happens to be that the prices have changed. Similar story. Someone says uh, to his heirs, when I, I after I die, I want you to provide a dowry for my daughter of 400 dinar worth of wine. Uh, for my daughter. I cut Hamana. In the meantime, the price of wine went up. So Rav Yosef said that the gain uh, goes to the orphans. So if there was, uh, you know, if it was one one uh, um, a dinar, a bottle, then in the original price, they would have had to provide 400 bottles. But now, let's say the price doubled, they only have to provide 200 bottles of wine because that is the same price as what he said. Another story about Rabbi Yochanan. He, um, uh, Rabbi Yochanan, had a wife of their, the relatives of Rabbi Yochanan had a stepmother. Right, his, Rabbi Yochanan's relatives had a stepmother and she was alive, the husband was alive and she was diminishing all of the sustenance. Uh, now she's spending a lot, and so the sons, they're t- taking a look ahead at their future inheritance when their father dies. It keeps getting dwindled because the stepmother is spending everything, and they're really concerned. So they go to Biochanan, you know, what should we do? I have a good idea. Go and tell your father to tell her that she is that he's going to set aside one portion of land for her sustenance. Now it looks like he's doing her they're doing her a favor. Listen, we have a set of this this piece of land, we're going to devote it special for you. This is be this will you you will get this the, this land and its uh, profits its produce will will all be dedicated for your expenses. And if she agrees to that, then it looks like they're doing her a favor, but in fact, they're actually limiting what she can collect and she will only be sustained from that piece of land and have no access to the rest of the property. So that's a Biochanan's uh, trick that he's going to use for this uh, uh, for this stepmother who's spending too much. All right, Atul de Resh Lakish. The father eventually died, and they come to Resh Lakish to settle the matter. He says, sorry, your trick did not work. Now you gave her this land. She has that exclusive right to collect from that land, and you still have to pay her all of the sustenance that you that uh, is uh, stipulated in the ketubah. So you actually, actually actually have to give her the same amount and she even has a benefit that if there's uh, insufficient funds, she'll be sustained from that piece of land as well.
They told us, Shakish, wait, but we consulted with our relative, Rabbi Yochanan. He didn't say that. He said that if we designate just one piece of land, then she will only get sustained from that piece of land and nothing else. Amalehu zidu habula. Shakish got upset. Says, go, go. You have to, you have to give her the full amount. And if you don't, I'm gonna pull Rabbi Yochanan out of your ear. A way of saying, um, I'm gonna be harsh with you, and I don't care what Rabbi Yochanan said. You heard what Rabbi Yochanan said. I'll pull that out of your ear, and I'm going to judge against you anyway. So that Rishakish disagreed. So now these relatives went to the Biochanan and they said, oh, You told us that we should do this, it would work. You know, come, come and defend us. Go tell Rashakish. Says, What can I do? Right? Uh, my colleague who's equal to me uh, disagrees with me. So I told you my opinion. But Reshakish is the one adjudicating. Rabbi Yochanan, I'm sure, would have had to recuse himself as a relative. And so Reshakish, that's his opinion. So what can I do? You have to follow what he said. Amar Rabbi Abhu, Abhu says, Rabbi Yochanan actually explained it to me why he, he, he thought one halacha and Eshakish thought a different one. They weren't necessarily disagreeing. It could depend on the exact wording that you use. Amar Limzonot, Mezonot. If you say, I am giving you this particular land, Limzonot, for your sustenance, so then he's giving that in addition. Here's, I'm giving you sustenance and I'm going to designate this particular piece of land that will be exclusively used, used for your sustenance to make sure that it will always be a full amount. So then that would be what Rashakish said. If you were really, if they wanted to limit her, then they would have to say, We're giving you this land as your sustenance. So it means instead of getting sustenance from all of our property, you're only going to get it from this. This is your sustenance only. And in that case, um, that would be the fixed amount and no more. And that would be the case of Rabbi Yochanan. Hadran alach na'ara. And so that completes the fourth perik. And now we begin just the uh, Mishnah and a little bit of discussion of the fifth perik. Okay, even though the rabbi said that the basic amount is that for a bitula, she gets 200 and an almana, anyone that is, was married already uh, only gets 100. That's the base amount, that's the minimum. But if a man wants to increase and give more, he can give even 100 meaning he can give 10,000 zoos and he can give as much as he wants. Uh, The sky is the limit and that's permitted. If she is widowed or she uh, gets divorced, whether they only had Kiddushin or whether they were fully married, she collects all of it, not, not just the 100 or 200, even the added amount. That's Tanakama. Disagrees and says, if they were married, then yes, they get the whole thing. 
but that that full amount, let's say the extra thousand, was only meant for marriage. If they only had kiddushin, then they she only collects the base amount for a bitula, two hundred for an amana, one hundred because. The husband only wrote the added amount on condition that they would complete the marriage and uh, and do the full chupa and everything, and that's why he said the full th- thousand is so that what is for when we get married. He didn't have in mind that if the if the kiddushin is broken off, that he would pay that. But the minimum amount, everyone agrees, he has to pay even after a kiddushin. So while it's true that the minimum amount is 200 and 100, Rabbi Uda says, let's say a guy wants to give less. Well, you can't just write in the Ketubah less. That's not going to work because there's a minimum amount. But here's what you could do. You could write in the Ketubah 200, but she will write a receipt that says, I received 100, even though she actually didn't receive anything. That's the equivalent of her foregoing a hundred of it. And so what will be left would be a hundred payout. Or if it's Almanah, who only gets a hundred to begin with, they'll write down a hundred in the Ketubah, and she'll write a receipt that says, I received 50. And then at the end of that marriage, she'll only have to pay the remaining 50. The Buddha says that is permitted to do. However, disagrees with the Buddha and says, no, you cannot do it, not even that way with a receipt. If you give any less to a bitula than 200 or an amana 100, then that is not considered a proper marriage. And the bi'ah they have is only a promiscuous bi'ah and not for the sake of marriage. He didn't guarantee her uh, this uh, minimum amount, so the, his marriage is not a valid contract. Okay, now we ask us on the beginning, Peshita. Isn't this obvious that if a man wants to increase the amount, that he can give more? Oh, so I might have thought that maybe the rabbis made, in fact, a fixed ceiling so that one peer person will not be embarrassed from another. You have a minimum amount. That way there won't be competition and the person who can't afford so much, he's only going to be able to give an added $10 and the person who's very wealthy is going to get add, add a million dollars and the poor person will feel embarrassed. We might have thought that that would be the case, but the Mishnah teaches not so. Um, the person, every everyone can give as much as they can afford, as much as they negotiate when they are making the marriage, and that is a valid, uh, a, a valid part of the uh, uh, of the contract. We'll end with that. Baruch Adonai Amen.